Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Well, I got a great one planned for you uh, this week. My uh, my two special guests that are going to be joining me, Romana King. She, of course, is an editor, real estate expert, and you'll read her articles at Money Sense. And a little bit later on in the hour, I've got the deputy chief economist with CIBC World Markets. That's right. Mr. Benjamin Tall is going to be joining me again. He's been on the show numerous times, and it's always great to have Mr. Tall as a guest. You're going to find out about what his prediction is for the market marketplace where are we going what should we take a look at this year and how did we get here you know it's been an interesting year so far even though we are just coming up to the middle of february you know numbers i gotta tell you it's not it's not a surprise in fact i i gotta tell you i honestly think that it's even a uh, even a lot easier than we first thought. January, the numbers are off, 4.2% in value. Of course, volume is down 22% year over year. Those numbers I want everybody to think about for a second. And the reason why is this is not the sky falling, folks. This is the return I think of a standard real estate cycle. On top of that, some of the new rules and regulations that came in January 1. What did we expect? You know, when they turn around and say that you got to qualify with a 2% higher rate just for qualification, that was OFSI, yeah, government introducing a stress test to you. You know, we knew that this was going to put the brakes on some part of the market. And again, you know what? We have to thank the government for intervening. I mean, some of you may say it's a positive. Some of you may say it's a negative. Um, I'm going to stay in the middle on this one. I don't agree that they should keep putting their uh, their foot on everybody's throat. But at the same time, we don't want people to you know over leverage themselves and get themselves into big trouble. I love hearing from our listeners, and of course, you can reach me, Todd at thesimpleinvestor.com. And uh, this week, actually, I had a great question, and it was quite timely because of some new rule changes coming out and I thought I would share it with you because it does actually impact people that are going to be investors and the question of the week comes from Robert he said I want to own an investment property but I've heard that the rules favor the tenants is this so well Robert I got to tell you um, they do and a new rule change that is coming down of course from the housing minister announced this week a standard lease agreement that everybody's going to have to start using on or after April 30th. And so what they want to do is they want to create a lease that the government deems to be fair to the tenants. And of course, everybody's up in arms because they're saying, well, just one more thing to protect the tenants. You've got rent control, stricter regulations on evictions, and now you're telling us how to write the lease. Now, I would agree with this uh, for one reason and one reason only. A standardized lease, that means that all landlords are apples for apples. In other words, a landlord can't kind of sneak something in there. But when you're constantly talking about the protection of the tenants, again, being an investor, I would say that we've kind of got to take a look at what is the government doing for landlords? You know, they keep complaining about an inventory issue, and yet they don't seem to be speeding up proper evictions you know tenants can turn around string your the landlord along not pay their rent last second after not paying for 60 almost 90 days they show up and say here i'm going to pay the outstanding and then this continues as a cycle like i said i am all for fair play but at the same time we have to take a look at it and say is it always going to be so one-sided you know a lot of people were complaining last year because you know uh, the landlords were evicting people and jumping up rents 
They implemented the rent control, can't do it anymore. They then implemented a stricter policy. You cannot pretend that you're doing a owner-occupied and then re-rent it for a higher price. I'm all for some of that, but ultimately in the end, how about allowing uh, landlords to have a quicker eviction for non-payment? See, there's absolutely no excuse for non-payment. And if there is, please tell us why. You know, why is it that the government thinks that a landlord should finance a tenant's living? lifestyle and again this is this is me putting on a landlord hat as you all know i am the simple investor and that we do management of hundreds and up to a thousand units at this point um for us it is you always want to have a kind of a marriage here where it's give and take make sure that you are a great landlord make sure you're a good tenant and you've got a potential of having a very good you know uh investment and again taking care of the tenants one of the things, of course, is the inventory issue, and this is why you know I, I bring the question out, and I would love somebody from the government to actually get back on me, back, get back to me on this. Was why is it that you keep complaining about inventory and you know affordable housing, but you make no encouragement for landlords to actually you know venture into this market unless they're doing it from a speculative standpoint? There's a really good reason why people should own investment properties. As you all know, I'll talk about it all the time until I'm blue in the face. But ultimately, in the end, you know, you can be a great landlord, which allows a tenant to be able to have a great place to live, and you can work with affordable housing. So again, this is one of the things I still believe that the government is at 100% fault because they are not making it easy to be a landlord which is then creating it harder to be a tenant. So maybe you guys need to get off your asses and actually do something about this because you know what? It's not making it easy and we need to focus on this. Um, anyways, Robert, thanks for the question. Folks, remember, you can reach me, Todd, at thesimpleinvestor.com or go to thesimpleinvestor.com and find out you know, more about what we are doing. We've got a great year planned, of course. We've got all sorts of neat things that are coming out. Did you know, by the way, that there is 1.25 million renters in Ontario alone? That is a massive market. And again, for people that want to own investment properties, it's still a good marketplace. Interest rates are going to fluctuate a little. And of course, when I have our experts on later in the hour, they're going to talk about what could potentially happen with interest rates this year. Uh, Mr. Tall has been bang on with his predictions and, uh, you know, put a lot of faith in, in professionals like him to be able to tell us where, what we can be looking for uh, in the future. Um, again, you know, don't forget Amazon is considering Toronto a viable place to put their HQ2. Um, immediately in the news, everybody started getting worried because do we have enough vacancies to be able to handle a company the size of Amazon coming in? 50,000 employees, where are they going to live? Well, it's an interesting, interesting point. Um, by the way, Treb, the Toronto Real Estate Board, want to throw out a, a little bit of a warning to obviously, I would say the Toronto marketplace, but you know, they warn of the over-reliance on land transfer tax. That's right. You know, with a huge marketplace, prices up, volume going crazy in 2016 slash part of 17, there was a lot of tax dollars being generated. For those of you that were closing on properties, you know what I'm talking about. You know, double land transfer tax, all sorts of money being spent. And on top of that, if the market starts to drop down, 
can Toronto count on that tax dollar generation coming through? Well, you might have to cut back on your budget. Not sure what you're going to do. Uh, Mayor Tory, of course, is, you know, I would say doing his best to try to see what uh, what can be done with the budgets that, that are given. But I always fall back on the provincial government. Hey, folks, remember Toronto? You might want to have to step in and help if necessary. Um, like I said, biggest thing, of course, in the market, January's numbers are down. Don't get overly concerned. This is not a crash market. None of us are predicting that at all, but what we are seeing is maybe a little bit of a seasonal adjustment and the idea that you are now adjusting to the actual changes in the rules and regulations. A little bit of a punch in the interest rates. It's going to happen. Anyways, coming up now, joining me is Romana King. And I know you know the name. She's a frequent guest here at Simply Real Estate. She, of course, is a real estate expert, author, editor, uh, just, you know, perfect person to be having this conversation with at this time of year. And welcome back to the show. Hi, Todd. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, thanks. You know, you're you're also sort of like our, our, our correspondent out on the West Coast because, you know, <laughs> nothing better than getting getting right from, you know, uh, the, the professionals out there on what's going on. And maybe we can start off by talking about the Vancouver market. What is BC seeing right now at the beginning of the year? Yeah, well, I come, you know, around uh, in November, around November, we saw sales and, and uh, sales activity just plummet, drop, drop right down. And then there was a surge right before the end of the year. And now we're seeing it tick upwards. And um, it's definitely different than, than, you know, January of 2017, where we saw a huge sort of lull in the market. So a weighted breath expectation kind of market situation last year. And then this year, it seems like people are feeling quite confident. I think month over month we have almost a three percent change in uh, in pricing already. Wow. Now, what about your volume? Is it is it down year over year, or is it up from January 2017? Um, it's it's up, and this is what people fail to realize is that you know incrementally, if you look at uh, you know real estate over time, it always sort of moves upwards, just like the stock market. You will see these big dips down and these big massive you know points going upwards, but. On the whole, it's always going up. And compared to last year, it's it's up quite a bit. Really? Because, you know, it was interesting, and, and you and I are going to get to the Toronto market shortly, but, of course, we all know that we had this crazy market in January last year in Toronto, and, you know, you and I can go over the numbers shortly, uh, what's going on in 2018. But back to back to um, your, your marketplace here, you know, looking at Vancouver, looking at British Columbia, why? Wh- what do you kind of attribute the fact that you're starting to see the increase uh, as much as you are right now? Well, I mean, one of the things that I think we have, we're about a year ahead of you guys is the just realizing what's happening with the foreign buyers tax and with you know rental controls and with just mortgage stress tests. I think that hit the market more in BC. I think if you look statistically, we have more buyers that are putting more than 20% down. Um, so they were already uh, trying to jump into the market last year, and now with the new mortgage stress test, I think. You know, those with more than 20% down, they're well qualified, they're well positioned to, to buy. They've obviously got a large down payment. Um, in terms of pricing, we're about 100 to 150,000 more in terms of average sold price than we were this time last year wow. um, for the whole of the Vancouver market. Yes. And again, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, as much as the sales activity and the inventory dipped down quite a bit in December, that's kind of a natural lull in the annual cycle of real estate. You know, I think what we're seeing is, again, interest rates are really low. And as much as we've got all these, you know, 
blockers, more distress tests and the potential of rising interest rates, people really realize that they can afford more with low interest rates, so they're trying to lock in. Yeah, interesting. Um, listen, we're going to go to a quick break. When we come back, uh, you know what? We're going to come east. We're going to talk about Toronto, if you're up for it. And uh, let's have some fun with that. So, um, Absolutely. Fo- folks, we've got Romana King with us. And stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest right now is Romana King. And you'll know the name because Romana is a regular guest here at Simply Real Estate. And uh, Romana, just before the break, you and I were having an interesting conversation about Vancouver because the Vancouver market seems to be picking up, you know, a good pace right now after coming through the month of January. And if we now take a look east and we take a look at the GTA market, you know, our numbers are, are substantially off from last year. And, you know, we've got it looks like we're going to be facing some real headwind. Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to see a similar graph as if you looked at 2017. We had this sort of big spike up in in spring and then a sort of a large precipitous plummet all the way through to, to the summer. I don't think it, much is going to change. There is still a pent-up demand in the GTA. Uh, buyers are trying to find something suitable. We all know that most of the market comes into the market in the springtime. It's the most competition. People that are poised and ready are going to put their houses on the market, their properties on the market, and buyers are going to snap it up. And then as soon as that happens, then we're looking at a couple of really strong headwinds. We're looking at you know the potential and probably the reality of a rising rate in 2018, not one, maybe two. Um, and if it doesn't happen in the spring, then it's certainly going to happen in the, in the summer and then the fall months. Uh, that's really going to push people, and it's going to push people out. So as we see the market slow down naturally over the summer months, we're also going to see more of that headwind with the rising rates, and we're going to see even a, a, probably a bigger drop-off on activity. So it, I think the Toronto market is still in for turbulent times. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because um, for the month of January, uh, the the average price was down about 4.2%, uh, 22% off on volume. So that, that that's quite significant year over year, but it almost feels like we're back to a regular January market. I mean, you know, there was still in the GTA market over 4,000 units sold in the month of January. Do you think that that's really indicating more of a normal market or are we going to continue to see a downward trend for the next five months? Uh, I think it, I think you're right. I think it's more of a normal market. I think January, December, and January are historically, you know, there's less activity. The prices are a bit depressed for that reason. Um, and I think, I mean, in terms of pricing, we're not far off of what where we were from last year. You know, we're maybe about thirty, forty thousand above where we were last year. Inventory is certainly going up. Um, and the number of transactions are certainly going down. And people often look at that and think, oh my. But you know, we've had a lot of individuals trying to individuals and, and you know other entities trying to take advantage of a strong market and that's when people that have you know the choice to put maybe a, an additional property in the market they're putting doing that and, and that inflates the numbers and also you know we've got the lucky lose the people think well you know if I can get 1.4 for a house that I only pay 200,000 for maybe I'll do it and so they'll put it on the market and then they'll take it off when it doesn't sell and, and live happily in that house continue to live happily in that house so I, I think we're going to find that that Toronto returns to more of a balanced market. I think it'll be a bit of a turbulent time there. Um, we are definitely seeing that the average days on market, you know, right from the start of 2018 has started to grow quite significantly. 
Yeah, you know, and, and one of the things that I think that we need to caution people about is always going back to the high end of 2017. So if, if yeah. we use if we use April as the benchmark, everybody's going to feel that they lost. And you know, of course, there was such an activity throughout you know those first four months of 2017. But everybody that actually had traded in real estate, let's say, you know, later in 2017, but you know, more more so in 2016, 2015, 2014, they're all I think still in a good position. But the unfortunate thing is, of course, all our reports always go back and say, you know, from from the peak, we are off this much. So I think I think what it does is it actually creates more of this, you know, concern in the marketplace than is actually necessary. Do, do, do you do you think that that's again one of those mental things that we've got to help people get over? Absolutely. It's it's hard for people to think, oh, well, I left money on the table. But the reality is, is that unless you were in a position to sell in April of last year, and that would mean getting ready in February of last year. Um, you know, you, you didn't miss out. And, and it's, we have a lot of these discussions ourselves. Our agents go out and they talk to people and they say, oh, I missed it. The, your house has appreciated, you know, 100% since you, when you sold it, since when you bought it. And for that reason, you haven't lost anything. Maybe, maybe you could have gotten more had you sold it last spring. You yeah. know, but the reality is you're still 20, 25, 30% above what, what you should expect at this time had things gone, you know, quite normal in the last 10 years. <laughs> you know, it's interesting how you say normal because you know when we take a, when we take a look at the stats the last ten years, you know, basically in the GTA market a hundred and twenty percent increase in ten years. You know, so even if you just take an average of ten percent per year on an investment, I mean that, that that's astronomical. And and you know if if we try to say we need a normalized market, you know, anywhere between three and six percent would be more of a normal market. And so when people turn around and they start going, yeah, but I lost money because I should have sold it in 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 April, but as you said, they're up they're up a hundred percent. I mean, you know, there's been a lot of profit that has been given back to people that have bought real estate. Well, and psychologically, I mean, tons of psychologists and doctors and you know academics have done these studies where we we mourn the loss of a, a potential loss that we haven't yet experienced but could have, than we do the actual gain that we have. You know, we don't focus on the fact that we do have a tremendous amount of equity because of a price appreciation. We mourn the fact that we didn't get that extra hundred thousand. <laughs> yeah. So, so if we if we bump over uh, right now, our condominium market hot, hot, hot. We've got uh, lots of lots of people wanting to buy condominiums. Their prices are up, you know, significantly. Do you think that we could be approaching a condominium bubble, or is it just that it's the only affordable thing for people to buy? You know, I think it would be a bubble if the fundamentals weren't there. And I know we have a lot of economists arguing what are the fundamentals, but the reality is, is affordability is part of that fundamental. And with the mortgage stress test, with the rising rates, um, you know, we're, we do have a, 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 an affordability problem, and particularly people that want to live in urban areas, not on the suburbs, not on the outskirts, but people who want to stay in the, in the urban areas. It's really, really astronomically hard to get a single family detached in an urban area now. So you're going to have more pressure to have those condos. And we're, we're actually seeing some of that demographic shift that you know was talked about a decade ago where you have baby boomers who are thinking, I don't need a four-bedroom rancher anymore. I really do need to downsize. You're having those people trickle into the condo market. I don't think it's going to be a wave like it was predicted, uh, but you have competition between baby boomers and you have competition between millennials and new, you know people that haven't yet formed families and your families, people that want to stay in urban centers. So condos are going to stay heated for a long time. If it's a bubble, it's going to last for a while until supply catches up and helps ease that, that strain.
Well, I don't think we have to worry about supply catching up. <laughs> you know, at this, at, at this time, the government's doing everything possible not to allow us to have more supply. So I definitely yeah. think that that's not something that we have to be concerned about in the near future. We hear, uh, you know, developers talking about, you know, lamenting about how we really need to make these changes so that for, from a zoning perspective, we can actually densify. Uh, you know, I've talked about this before, where we have a process where neighbours can really kibosh deals that are going through with developers who want to actually densify an area. And the people in that in those areas don't like it. It's not in my backyard kind of syndrome. And I think we're going to have to face stark reality in cities, which is if we don't densify, we will have a lack of affordability that will not will not find a solution uh, until we make some hard decisions about how we want our cities to look. Yeah, excellent. Listen, uh, Romano, always a pleasure to have you on, and uh, I look forward to talking you know, th- with you through the spring market, because I think you and I are going to see some yeah. interesting numbers. So, Interesting in the Chinese proverb kind of way, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it certainly is. Anyways, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Todd. Okay, folks, that was Bye. Romana King. And listen, after the break, I've got Benjamin Tall joining me, so stay with me. I'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest now is Mr. Benjamin Tall. He is the Deputy Chief Economist with CIBC World Markets. Uh, We've had him on before and always a wonderful guest. And Mr. Tall, welcome back to the show. Thank you. A pleasure. You and I had talked back in the fall and and back in the spring, and we've been watching the market uh, do quite a few things. And, you know, it's amazing what a difference a year makes. And, uh, you know, I think you and I had just talked in around March of 2017. And now, you know, we're faced with so many different, I would say, rules, regulations, interest rates. There's a lot, there's a huge, massive difference. Uh, when you and I last spoke, we had, uh, you had identified that huge upswing for those first three to four months as a blip in the marketplace. Where do you see where we sit today as opposed to January 2017? Well, uh, if you look at the overall market, the housing market, uh, we are talking about a situation in which, uh, you know, we have seen the government trying very hard to slow it down, basically. We have seen uh, 2016 in the GTA going to the sky. We have seen 2015 in Vancouver going to the sky, basically um, a hockey stick type trajectory in both cities. And uh, I think that... um, Uh, In both cases, the market was overshooting fundamentals, although fundamentals are very strong. There was some crazy things happening, like uh, flipping and some other things. And therefore, uh, now, uh, gravity took place. Uh, We have seen it in Vancouver earlier, and uh, we have seen it in uh, Toronto GTA uh, recently. But uh, if you don't deal with the real issue, which is supply, all the changes that you see and all the adjustments that you see will be temporary at best, and that's exactly what's happening. As you know, Vancouver is now uh, on fire, and Toronto is in early stages of recovery. Well, you know, with, with the latest uh, release with the Toronto Real Estate Board, they're saying that our volume uh, is down 22% January over January. Now, I was going to say, does could we not be looking at maybe we just came back to a regular real estate cycle? Because, you know, years before, uh, 2013 through to 2015, we always did see a bit of a slowdown in the January market because it's very much, you know, a, a seasonal thing. Uh, we, we, we blew right through the market in 2017, as you had mentioned, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, a lot of speculation probably in that marketplace. But could our downturn in these numbers actually equate to maybe more of a seasonal thing? 
Yes, and of course we have to remember that we have the impact of regulations. Uh, the qualification rate uh, introduced by OSFI, namely 200 basis points higher than the base rate, uh, is uh, significant. This is the biggest test facing the Toronto uh, real estate market, the Canadian real estate market, since 2008. Uh, this is significant. Uh, I estimate that this will impact roughly 12% of um, potential uh, home buyers. Now, many of them uh, will go to alternative lenders, uh, like mortgage investment corporations, even uh, credit unions. Many of them will um, replace this uh, desire to buy a detached house with uh, the reality of buying a condo, so they will take a smaller mortgage, so therefore they will qualify. Many of them will simply drive until they qualify, and you will see more demand in places like Hamilton, Barrie. So don't underestimate the, um, the creative imagination of Canadian borrowers. So yes, 12-13% will be impacted, but the actual reduction in demand will be much less than that, maybe 5-6%, but that will be enough to slow down the market, and I think that what we are seeing in January is a reflection of the seasonal aspect, but clearly the early impact of uh, regulations. So when when they implemented this, and, and again, when you and I spoke last year, it's part of part of the impression should be, I would imagine for some people is that, you know, the government does want to slow it down. At the time when the market was was hit, you know, the heviest when the government implemented the Fair Housing Act, we already had seen the market begin to sputter. So now we've got so many things that are now impacting the market. Vancouver has had a, 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 an increase. Obviously, we're watching it heat up again. But did they have the same number of issues to overcome as Toronto does now? Because again, normally people look at the Vancouver market being ahead of Toronto by, let's say, 10 to 12 months. Can we still take a look and have faith that maybe by year's end, we should see a recovery in our market? A uh, few things. First of all, we have to remember that uh, Vancouver faced its uh, test which was the foreign um, tax um, introduction and, of course, uh, the gravity that took place after the slowdown in an environment in which regulations were still relatively gentle. We didn't have the qualification rate story, and interest rates were stable, in fact, going down. Toronto is facing all the changes at once. The government changes, you know, the Ontario government 16-point uh, program was introduced recently. Uh, OSFI is now doing the qualification rate. In addition, we have interest rates rising. So you have all the shocks together, and that's why the severity of the slowdown in uh, Ontario and Toronto will be a bit more significant than in Vancouver. But the reality is that none of it is dealing with the real issue, which is supply. And uh, I think what we are seeing is really, uh, yes, the detached uh, segment of the market is slowing down. And we see by design, many developers are simply slowing down supply. They are postponing um, a new introduction of uh, products. And we see more and more demand coming towards the condo space because this is still the only available affordable um, avenue there. So. Yes, we might slow down over the next few uh, months uh, due to regulations and the seasonal aspect and the fact that we are still correcting. But to me, uh, this is not the beginning of um, a big correction. In fact, it's basically going to a normally functioning market. And I will not be surprised if uh, by the second half of the year we will see uh, Toronto following the, the footsteps of Vancouver.
Wow. Folks, if you're just tuning in right now, I have Mr. Benjamin Tall. He is the Deputy Chief Economist with CIBC World Markets joining me. And uh, Mr. Tall, one of the things that um, obviously with the 16... um, you know, point approach with the Fair Housing Act that came through was, of course, rent control. And immediately we saw a lot of builders put up the the the, the brakes and said, listen, we're not going to build purpose-built apartments. You know, this is now why they're, they're converting some of their building applications into condominiums. Was this a mistake by the provincial government who keeps saying that we need affordable housing? The short answer is yes. I think that rent control is a mistake. I think it's not the right policy. I don't think that that's what we need. Uh, this city needs something to release the pressure. This something must be rent. We need more families to go this avenue and rent. Namely, we have to adopt a situation. We have to basically accept a situation in which if you're 35 years old, uh, you're married, you have two kids, and you're renting, Nothing is wrong with you. That's basically the mentality that we have to accept in this city if we want to survive in terms of affordability. You go to any big city like New York, London, Berlin, and you will see that the propensity to rent is much higher than it is now. Rent control will make it much more difficult for this um, avenue to be explored. And to me, that's a negative because it means that uh, the condo market will continue to be the rental market, which is suboptimal for a city the size of Toronto. So to me, that was uh, not the right thing to do. I think that we can fix it easily if we simply introduce rent control, but it will be inflation plus, let's say, 2%. So you allow builders to build because they have some flexibility. And most builders will tell you, if they get 3 or 4% rent inflation, they will build. So the difference really is between one and a half, two percent and 4%. So yes, you protect uh, tenants from uh, those uh, landlords that want to double uh, your rent over the course of breakfast, but at the same time, you maintain a market that is sustainable through new supply. At this point, many of those projects are, are under review, and probably they will not go up. Wow. Um, I'm going to ask that you hang on just for a minute. When we come back, I'd like to talk to you about the potential of Amazon coming to Toronto, what kind of financial effect that would have, as well, uh, where you think the condominium market could possibly go. So okay. if, you, if you don't mind staying put, folks, when we come back, I'm going to have more with Benjamin Tulso. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest right now is Mr. Benjamin Tall, and he is the Deputy Chief Economist with CIBC World Markets, and a real pleasure to have on the show. We've had him on several times. And uh, Mr. Tall, just before we went to break, you know, we were talking about inventory and how, you know, this is probably one of the biggest obstacles that we have to overcome in a market like the GTA. And despite the fact that we're seeing a little bit of a downturn in the market, you know, this is going could very well be short-lived. Um, with, with the huge rise in interest in the condominium market at this time, is there any potential that the condominium market could be created as a bubble, or is this just going to always remain a supply and demand issue? Yeah, that's a good question, because if you count the number of cranes, uh, people get a bit uh, concerned. I think that uh, clearly the condo market is telling you only half of the story. If you look at the number of units uh, since 2000 or 2002, basically over the past 15, 16 years, 
if you look at the number of uh, condos rising relative to the number of um, detached house, uh, houses that basically went down, you see a situation in which we basically replace, the ratio is basically one-to-one for every decline in um, detached house or low-rise unit, we've seen an increase in a condo unit. Basically, we replace detached housing with condos, one-to-one ratio. Uh, basically, you are replacing a more expensive unit, which is a house, with a less expensive unit, which is an apartment. And um, that's one of the reasons uh, why house prices in Toronto are not totally in the sky. This was actually a factor limiting price inflation or house price inflation in Toronto, just this composition factor, more condos, less um, low rise. So in terms of the overall number of units, we are more or less long-term average. The composition is changing. I think it's very important to understand because the, the cranes are very visible. The reduction in inventories in the low rise segment of the market is not so visible. And that's why people are panicking. Uh, I think that the condo market is uh, well supplied now. Uh, we have seen 36,000 unit sales uh, last year. That was a very strong uh, market. We see a significant um, supply in the pipelines coming. So it is possible possible that in the short term, uh, we will see maybe excess, excess supply in the condo market, but nothing to write home about. Uh, I think the key issue is investors. Namely, given that 50% of uh, buyers now are investors, uh, the rental market is key here, and to what extent those uh, investors will continue to invest. And if they're in negative cash flow, and some of them are, uh, that might be an issue, and that will reduce supply even more. And that's why I think that if there is one piece missing in this puzzle, and if people are interested in the condo space, trying to understand how sustainable this condo space is, one piece of the puzzle that is still missing in terms of our knowledge is the motivation of those investors, namely, why are they investing in condo apartments? Are they investing to just uh, to replace a GIC? In this case, that's not a great investment because some of them are in negative cash flow already. But if you are investing from a long-term perspective because you want your kids to have something in the future, you believe that this market is going places and uh, direction is up, and 10 years from now, it will be even less affordable than it is now, then the motivation is very different, and that's sustainable. So that's the missing part that we are trying to figure out. We are actually sitting with developers, with investors, doing focus groups, trying to get a sense of what's happening. And when we have the answers, I will be more than happy to share it with you. <laughs> I, would, I would appreciate that. You know, when we take a look at the numbers, and because, um, you know, I work as the simple investor, we do calculate out numbers for a lot of people out there that are looking at investments. Currently at the rate of over $800 a square foot when they're purchasing brand new, and they're looking at one bedrooms having an average rent between 1900 and $2,100 per month. Most of these people are running a negative cash flow with 20 to 25% 
20% down, somewhere in the excess of between $300 and $500 per month. So with with the potential of increasing condominium fees, because as we know, condominium fees have a tendency of going up after the first few years, this could increase the negative cash flow. So a lot of these people seem to be buying on a speculative mindset saying, listen, I'm going to lose money for the first few years, but potentially if the value goes up enough, I should recap my my losses and make a profit. Is this not still a form of speculation where they could actually still create more problems if the market doesn't catch up to their losses? Absolutely, yes. Absolutely, yes. And that's the big fear and that's the big concern. This market is very tight, and the supply issue suggests that uh, maybe they're right, that from a long-term perspective, this, prices, this market will be even more expensive than it is now. But clearly, there's a, there is a speculation aspect here, and tomorrow you have a recession, and things can uh, kind of adjust, yeah? Uh, so, yes, there is a risk here. Now, uh, one, one thing that I'm interested in is to see how much they put down. Maybe they put more than 20 25%, yeah? Yeah, And if that's the case, they're not in negative cash flow. So there are some dimensions to this story that are still unknown. But you're absolutely right that this is a form of speculation. Uh, but it's not totally crazy given the lack of supply in this city. Right. I always, I'm always concerned about negative cash flow, and that's where I always, you know, it flags a, more of a speculative uh, approach. Now, one of the things, of course, in the news uh, over the last little while is the idea that Amazon is actually entertaining Toronto for their HQ2. Um, is this is this a positive thing for Toronto? I mean, you know, immediately as soon as this was announced, everybody started, you know, getting worried that they're going to eat up too much of our rental properties. You don't buy up. They they think that there's even going to be a further shortage, or are we are are we kind of not looking at it as a as a, it should be looked at as an approach i mean a 5 billion dollar you know investment you know uh, thousands of jobs being created is is this a good or a bad thing for the gta well, in the short term, I th- well, I think it's a good thing, period. You know, if you bring something like that to the GTA, you will have more people, you will have more demand, you will have more jobs, high-paying jobs. No, I think it's a good thing. But you're absolutely right that in the short term, given the fact that uh, the vacancy rates are so uh, low, even the off- in the office market and clearly rental, I think that uh, that will create a market that is even uh, hotter than it is now. Uh, that's not a reason to say no to Amazon. That's a reason to actually celebrate. But clearly, that will be a challenge from a short-term perspective. But the long-term gain will be much more significant than the short-term pain. So one one last point, and I, I, I hate to put you on the spot, but if you were to give the government some advice <laughs> at this point, how do we solve our inventory problem? I mean, the builders are saying that it's taking longer and longer for them to get approvals. It's harder for them to keep up with the rate increases because it does take longer. Is there something in the system that can be fixed or what is going to be the best approach for our future? Because it does look a little bit bleak if we continue to have a hundred thousand people immigrating into Toronto you know we do get a lot of the, the new immigrants coming into our, our marketplace how do we keep up with the demand yes uh, first of all I will say that rent control should be changed that's one thing it's relatively easy just add inflation to it and you will see more purpose-built rental which is part of the solution second it's not that we don't have enough land we have more than enough land we simply need to release this land fast and we're not doing it. We are already behind 10%, namely the places to grow act, namely the government's program 
to raise the density. It started in 2006. We are basically 40% into the process already, and we released only 30% of the land that we needed. So we are already behind 10%. And this was the easy one because this was a zone land. So we have to find a way to accelerate the process uh, at which municipalities release land and zone land and service land, because if we don't do that, uh, it will be even worse. And then we have the OMB, the Ontario Municipal Board, that uh, you know the government decided to make some changes to it. So now most of the power is actually uh, not with the board, which means that uh, some developers are telling me this is even worse than rent control because that will limit supply because um, it will be very, very difficult to get approval for what you want if you don't have the Ontario Municipal Board that takes a broader look at the situation. So there are a few things that we can do in order to ease the pressure, and unfortunately we're not moving in the right direction. Yeah. And and one last thing I, I, I forgot to ask you, and of course, so far, I think your crystal ball has been has been fabulous. But do you uh, do you see uh, a couple more increases to the Bank of Canada rate? Um, you know, you called it last year perfectly. You said that they're going to take a, you know, take away the the incentive. And of course, we've already had an increase this year. Do we do we see more coming down the pipe? Yes, we are seeing some more, but it will be very slow. It will be very slow because, remember, the Bank of Canada is facing significant headwinds. We have NAFTA, which is a major uncertainty, and you don't want to start raising interest rates in an environment in which we might be facing the negative uh, coming from uh, any uncertainty related to NAFTA. We have the, inter- the, the tax um, package in the U.S., which is very significant. They reduce their taxes there. They are improving uh, incentives for companies there to invest, and therefore, for for, uh, Canadian companies, all of a sudden, it's much more difficult to compete. That will lead to a situation in which uh, less investment will come to Canada, more to the U.S. Then you have the increased sensitivity to higher rates. Basically, when you start raising interest rates, uh, as a society, we are more sensitive to the rate increase. And therefore, uh, the Bank of Canada is the first to tell you that maybe they will go slow because of that. So, yes, they will raise interest rates once or twice this year, but I don't think it will be in the sky, and it probably will be slower than what the Fed is doing in the U.S. Yeah, excellent. Well, Mr. Tall, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show, and thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Folks, that was Mr. Benjamin Tall, and he's the Deputy Chief uh, Economist with CIBC World Markets. Um, Listen, I also want to thank Romana King for joining me. She's always great for input. And um, as Mr. Tall said, you know what, it looks like and potentially we could be looking at, you know, uh, interest rate hike again this year, but maybe not as aggressive as what some people are thinking. Uh, keep in mind that whenever you are working with financing, you can get your rates locked in. Normally, uh, banks will give you anywhere from a 60 to 120-day lock-in. It still allows you to have some flexibility if you're out shopping, and make sure you get approved properly because you don't want to get caught at the end. Anyways, um, I want to thank uh, Andre and Ian for uh, making the show simple, as they do every single week. On top of that, I want to thank you, of course, for joining me. Uh, Remember, I'm back next Saturday at 3 p.m. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.